Okay, I'm getting a hang of the clapping. <laughs> I haven't been able to stomp my foot and clap at the same time yet, but that will come, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'll use the stool today. I, my, I have trifocals, and I don't know that I could read if I'm... Our text this morning... <laughs> But we better start. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Please listen to the word of God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and after that he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If, or since, you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it stands written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if or since you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it stands written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, again, it stands written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it stands written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and were ministering or waiting on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This Lenten season, we have been focused on the wilderness. The wilderness can be a difficult place as well as a determining place, a defining place for us. Israel's life was shaped in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted and dealt with uh, obedience, his own obedience in the wilderness. And our own lives are often involved in being in a wilderness, in a wilderness of loss or of struggle or of temptation. And in those wilderness places, we can learn to trust and profoundly grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can look beyond what seems to be the immediate temptation and look into the internal vulnerabilities that are in our own heart. Jesus, in this way, focused not centered on the externals, but centered on the faithfulness of God. He was not focused on food, on a miraculous display, or on realms to rule. He was focused more on what was in the heart and how his obedience would be lived out to his Father, our God. But before we get to the temptations, we need to address, I think, an even more critical and fundamental question, and that is, do we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ? That's really the issue that underlies the whole temptation scene. Do we want to be followers, disciples of Jesus Christ? Listen to this encounter, this exchange between Clarence 
um, Jordan and his brother Robert. Clarence, as you know, as some of you know, and some of you were alive at the time, uh, like I was, uh, he started Koinonia Farms in Georgia, in America's Georgia. It was an interracial farming uh, co-op or, or community. And every now and then, um, they needed some legal advice. His brother Robert was a lawyer, and so they have this exchange. Now, Clarence Jordan was actually a, um, a New Testament scholar, but also his, uh, my, his major in college was agriculture. And so he combined those two to start this new thing that was happening in the early 50s. Clarence, says Robert, I can't do that. That is, I can't represent you legally. You know my political aspirations. Why, if I represent you, I might lose my job, my house, everything I do. We might lose everything too, Bob, says Clarence. It's different for you, he said. Why is it different? I remember, it seems to me, that you and I joined the church the same Sunday as boys. I expect when we came forward, the preacher asked me about the same questions that he asked you. He asked me, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. What did you say? <laughs> I follow Jesus, Clarence, up to a point. Could that point be, by any chance, the cross? That's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I'm not going to get myself crucified. Then I don't believe you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, but not a disciple of his. I think you ought to go back to the church that you belong to and tell them you're an admirer, not a disciple. Will we be admirers of Jesus Christ? Or will we be disciples? The choice affects every decision we make. If we are only admirers, we will not really have eyes for what the temptations are all about. They will not be that much of a concern to us because we can uh, succumb to them when we need to. But if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then these testings become that which makes us strong and shapes our compassions, and shapes our commitments. Matthew, in his gospel, is critically concerned about people who are reading his gospel that they might become disciples of Jesus Christ. Not admirers, but disciples. And so as we think about the temptations, we start with this idea that he is really making a comparison between Jesus, uh, the Messiah, and Israel of old. Now, notice how he does this. The other Gospels don't do this, but notice how he does this. Uh, on the one hand, and this is history, you know this, Israel, who was called the Son of God, by the way, in early Exodus, came out of bondage in Egypt. They went through the waters of the Red Sea into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years, becoming the people of God, going into the promised land after that. But Israel tripped up regularly and was often disobedient to God. Jesus, also known as the Son of God, and here's the comparison, came out of Egypt when the whole Holy Family uh, left Judea because of Herod and went into Egypt. They came out of Egypt, uh, Jesus did, with, uh, with his parents. Jesus went through the waters of baptism in the Jordan River. 
was led into the wilderness by the Spirit and fasted or was tempted there after fasting uh, 40 days and 40 nights while demonstrating his trust in the living God. And the parallel ends there because there was trust in Israel, but there was also idolatry. There was grumbling over the food and it was not enough. They didn't have enough water. Jesus never grumbled, never uh, veered off of his obedience and trust in, G in the Father. And after that, we know that the story of Matthew will tell us he went back up to Galilee. In Galilee, he began to, uh, to bring together a renewed people of God, a people then who would be eventually known as the church, but this renewed people of God who were from all sorts of different backgrounds. Jews and Gentiles, Samaritans and Syrians, um, along with Judeans and Galileans, along with many others. So Jesus is now creating this new, renewed people of God, and all of them will be tested. And they will be tested by their life in Roman Empire. So before we get to the temptations themselves, let's consider who's tempting them. What is, what is this opposition to, to the living God? What is this that's happening uh, in light of uh, the, the disciples who are trying to follow Jesus? Well, there are three names or addresses of uh, the tempter in our text this morning. One is the devil. Another is the tester, or it can be translated the tester or the tempter. Excuse me. And the third is Satan. Um, I love the idea of the devil, I, and I don't, no, that's not right. I, I, love, I love the word uh, that comes out of the Greek text. It's diabolos, okay? It comes also from this compound verb, diabolo, to, through, to cast through something. Okay, so the devil, what the devil is doing is casting through something. In, in a sense, the devil is trying to put a wedge between you and yourself, between you and others, between you and God. And so there is this Dale Bruner, um, former uh, pe uh, professor up at Whitworth in New Testament, he says, he calls the devil the splitter. The, the devil is trying to split you from yourself. The devil is trying to split you from one another. The devil is trying to split you from your relationship with God. And so when we think of the diabolos, when we think of this devil, think about the devil as one who is trying to put a wedge between you, yourself, others, and God. Uh, when we think of the word tester, this is a, the one who is testing in the sense of trying to lure us, lure you and lure us into uh, listening to him so that we might doubt the goodness of God. We might doubt the grace of God. We might doubt what's going on with what God is doing in the world. I mean, look at the world. Is God doing anything? So there's this seed of doubt that the tester puts in our way. And then we have the Satan. Uh, Satan, as you know, is the, is the older word. And it's the adversary. It, Satan is the, is the person who was in the council of God in the story of Job at the beginning. And Satan wanted to uh, tempt Job because Job, I mean, he has everything. And it was, it was Satan, it was the adversary of God that then uh, began to test uh, Job in that scene. 
So think of those different aspects of the devil. Think of those different ways that the devil is trying to take us off track and to lead us down a path of disobedience. Okay, so let's then consider the three um, temptations that we see Jesus facing in the wilderness. We may also face these same kinds of temptations. So they're not just in the wilderness with Jesus. They are eternal temptations, if you will. The first one, I would say, is a temptation to self-reliance. Rather than depending on God, the temptation has to do with our physical needs. Uh, Jesus had just fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was famished. He was hungry, starving. And so at this very menial, very low, very uh, primal um, uh, point at which Jesus was at, the devil comes and says, oh, by the way, since you're the son of God, and by the way, he knows that he's the son of God. The, the text there reads if in most of our translations, but it's if in the sense of I know who you are, since you are the son of God. And so uh, since you're the son of God, take these stones and just make some bread. I mean, you're hungry. Is God really going to bother with you doing that? So do that. And what happens is, in this particular mo most basic level of temptation, it seems to me that there is a struggle with whether or not we will meet our own needs, whether Jesus will meet his own need, or will he depend on the faithfulness of God. And I think that's the deeper aspect of this temptation. It suggests that bread is enough for your needs. And what Jesus is discovering is that it's not just bread that we need. We need the one who gives the bread. It's different. It's not just that we need something to eat. We need to know and depend on the one who gives us that something to eat. So that's the first temptation. It's a temptation not to be self-reliant, but to depend upon God to, um, to feed our hunger. The second temptation is, I would say, in the spiritual realm. If the first is in the physical realm, the second is in the spiritual realm. And in this particular temptation, what we see is that um, the, the devil says to Jesus at the top of this pinnacle of the temple, oh, just jump. I mean, if you just jump and everybody will see this great miracle that God's going to do because God is going to save you, Right? You know that. You already know that. Since you're the son of God, you know that. God would save you. And then everybody would believe. Everyone would follow you and so forth. The temptation is really an attempt to do what we want, which is often to have a miracle instead of the grace of God. We want God to do what we need God to do in our way. And I would just say, uh, as an aside, Jesus didn't ask God for a miracle. Jesus knew he could depend on the grace of God. Now, the grace of God may include a miracle, and it may have included that for Jesus as well as for us, but Jesus didn't ask for a miracle. Jesus knew that he could depend on the faithfulness of God and God's grace. It's spiritual. It's that which kind of gets to the higher level of the temptations. And um, Jesus then turns the devil away again by Scripture. The third temptation has to do with the kind of kingdom that Jesus is going to establish. And by what means 
he will establish that kingdom. Create that renewed people of God in the world today. The desire for power, this is really a desire for power. Just, just bow your knee to me, fall down before me, and I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. Um, what numerous people have pointed out is that this is really, political power in that sense, is really idolatry. Just worship Satan and you can have everything. What are our idols? What is it that we are looking at? Because there are lots of different idols that we may be creating uh, for ourselves. Our family, our legacy, science, exercise, uh, status, or the isms, nationalism, militarism, uh, materialism, consumerism, all of those can become idols because they become first place in our life. And we uh, take those to heart and say, okay, are those what I am really living for? Trish Harrison uh, wrote an article recently in, uh, about idolatry, and she reminds us this. She reminds us that John Calvin called the heart a perpetual idol factory. A perpetual idol factory. So we need to deal with this. Beyond the temptations, there's a principle that really is critically important if we are going to get, get out of the bondage of temptation. And I would, I would state the principle in this way. It is our heart which gives us permission to yield to the temptation. It's our heart which gives us permission to yield to the temptation. If I were to retitle this sermon, I would title it something like, It's Not the Apple. Uh, it's not the apple or the pomegranate or whatever there was in the Garden of Eden. That's not, that's not the big issue. It's not that person, that commodity, that ideology, that object, which is the primary tempter in our life. It's our heart. The, the pomegranate or the apple was important as a means just to see, oh, did God really say that? I mean, it was one of the lures of the tempter. Did God really say that, that you shouldn't eat of this tree? It's so good. Um, what happened was there was a, an openness. There was already a split in their heart. And they began to say, hmm, I wonder. I wonder if we can have as much knowledge as God. I wonder if we can be as powerful as God. I wonder if we can really know things like God knows, good and evil and all of that. There was already a seed in their heart that was planted. And that seed began to split them open. And so when the devil came and said, oh, did God really say that? There was some doubt. And eventually they ate and yielded to the temptation. So we need to really reflect on our own heart, our own life. Uh, what is the temptation that is in front of us? And how are we going to deal with it? Now, one of the things that I think is fascinating in this particular story is that Jesus uses Scripture, by the way, as does the devil, Jesus uses Scripture to counter the, the devil's tempting. Uh, he uses Scripture in a different way than Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't have Scripture. Uh, 
But what Adam and Eve did have was the voice of God. And what Jesus is reflecting when he uses this scripture is not just that there are certain verses that we can use to counter a temptation, but we know the one who spoke those words. We know the one who gave us those words. We know that the one who spoke and revealed those words to us is the one who can help us in the midst of temptation. Listen again to Trish Harrison Understanding our hearts as idle factories invites us to the difficult work of honesty and humility. The difficult work of honesty and humility. What is hiding our hearts or hiding in our hearts that makes us vulnerable? Is it food covering hunger to be fed? Is it lust covering a deep longing to be loved? Is it money and things that cover our deep insecurities? What are our individual dark places where we need the touch of God? What safeguards us from temptation then is being honest before God regarding the most empty places the desert places, the wilderness places in our life. Are we admirers or are we disciples of Jesus? If we are disciples, we will be honest with ourselves and with God. And when we are, God will say, I hear you and I love you. In a moment, we'll have a chance to reflect on our own temptations, our heart. Claudia will come and lead us into a time of reflection and confession. She'll introduce this by looking at the temptation and Jesus' approach to it. And then after we have some silence and after the assurance of pardon, please listen to the choir as it sings our response in Agnus Dei.